Welcome to Mr. Movie Club, episode five. How are y'all doing? This one is coming out a little bit late in the month. We've been doing these monthly, and for those who are listening regularly, I apologize for my tardiness. Been busy, but um, we got a new one. We got a good one today. We're talking with my friend Ralph Saul, who is a writer and director. He is just finishing up his first feature, which is called Cortex, and which has a really good cast, including René Bourgeois, who some of you uber nerds may know from um, Star Trek The Next Generation. Um, and speaking of nerdy stuff, this is like literally the nerdiest podcast I've done. And um, because of that, it's really a fun one. Ralph is uh, he's a filmmaker. He's also a friend. We grew up together. We uh, go and see movies together at least you know once or twice a year. And um, we have these great talks, and I just recorded this one. And, um, you know, here I'll, I'll, I've jotted down. I just listened to it again. And, you know, this is actually, I recorded this one a couple months ago, and I took a while to release it because I I, th- I thought I was, my professional r- podcasting role, which is still quite amateur, was uh, super amateurish. But um, listening to it again, it's actually not that bad. Um you know, we just, we really, we really get into it. So here, here are some of the things we cover. Are you ready? Star Wars, Planet of the Apes, Time Travel, The Coen Brothers, uh, Kubrick, uh, Determinism, Paradoxes, uh, Movies versus TV, and uh, kind of a deep dive on um, Miller's Crossing, even though we really do a deep dive on Raising Arizona. But that turns into a deep dive on Miller's Crossing, which is another one of Ralph's favorite Coen Brothers films. So we do a lot of Coen Brothers talk. Um, not a ton of Star Wars talk, to be honest, but but enough to uh, make any even casual Star Wars fan um, want to take a listen. So, um, you know, it's really it's a really fun talk. I think you're going to enjoy it if you're if you like film nerds talking about film. Um, what else? Uh, what am I watching now? Um, I've been watching um, Succession on HBO. Um, I think last time I spoke to you guys, I was uh, kind of obsessed with uh, uh, Big Little Lies, which is a good show. Succession is a great show. And not to belittle Big Little Lies, I think season two is kind of a hot mess. But Succession, on the other hand is also in season two, and I was and I liked season one, and I was expecting season two to be another hot mess, because very often season twos aren't great. I remember Mad Men, I remember not liking season two that much, and then season three was great. Mr. Robot, my other favorite show, season two. I actually liked season two, but it definitely wasn't as strong as season one or season three. Succession season two is one of the best, like, you know, sort of high-end TV shows I've seen in years. The writing is stellar. The acting is super stellar. The filmmaking is is good. It's not like the most visual film, like uh, most visual show. You know, I actually think Mr. Robot uh, 
is a little more interesting in that just in a pure sort of visual stylistic filmmaking way. In fact, I, at first I was turned off to Succession because when I saw the trailers, it was all that handheld sort of the office V parks and rec kind of thing, which just, you know, as, as an editor, uh, it just, ugh, I'm just, so I, I think that whole style has kind of been played and I've been gravitating towards films like Roma and um, Cold War and, um, you know, and, and, and Mr. Robot, like shows and movies that like are going back to, Hey, let's compose a shot. This is not a fucking, let's not make a fake documentary. Let's really make a piece of art here. So what I'm saying is succession is great in spite of the fact that it is still that sort of faux documentary look, which I think just stylistically is, um, it, 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 I think it's time has, uh, come and pass, but put that aside. It's just such good writing and acting that it, it's just you gotta you gotta see it. Um, Sarah Snook, uh, Brian Cox. Um, I almost said Macaulay Culkin, but it's his brother Kieran Culkin. Um, and then I think it's Jeffrey Strong is the name of the other brother. If you haven't seen it, just in a nutshell, it's about a family that's sort of like the Murdochs kind of meet the Trumps, but they're much smarter than the Trumps, but they're as sleazy as the Trumps and as smart as the Murdochs, whatever. It's about, you know, like Big Little Lies, it's about a bunch of white people with a lot of money, which maybe doesn't sound like the most uh, progressive piece of artwork out there, but it's it's just, it really captures real privilege, like what real, real, like, people with so much money, they don't know what to do with it, privilege. And, and you know, and... What's great about it, though, is is it, 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 it while it condemns a lot of stuff about these people and, and people like that, it also humanizes them, much in the same way Mad Men did, which I thought was really good. You know, the, this whole thing, it doesn't glorify them, which is good. You know, it's my problem with The Sopranos, I felt it kind of glorified mobsters a bit intentionally or not, whereas um, I thought Mad Men, you know, took sort of like, you know, that kind of 50s, you know, man of the world, playboy, you know, um, kind of guy. And, and that, all right, Mad Men glorified him too. But Mad Men, you know, at the end of the show, you know, really got into the fact that none of the characters were black and white. They were, they were all human. You know, I think Big Little Lies does that. The best part of Big Little Lies, when it, especially season one, when it was on its game, I thought did that. This does it so well. Um, and I just, I can't, I can't recommend it. Um, anymore and that's all I'm gonna say so even if you don't have HBO you know we can order it on YouTube or whatever it's worth it um so check out Succession gotta watch the whole thing gotta watch season one um in the theaters I uh I recently saw the Linda Ronstadt documentary I didn't write it down but I think it's called The Sound of My Voice it's playing at the film forum as of this recording which is mid-September um and I was expecting it to be okay. I just kind of wanted to have an afternoon free, and I just checked it out. And I've been kind of let down by music documentaries. I saw the Bob Dylan one. I think I spoke about this. And the whole Bob Dylan one that he did with Scorsese, like he had a bunch of people play fake characters. I don't know if you heard about this controversy. There's some great historical footage in it, but it's like, oh, I'm a trickster. Ah, look, it's fake. You don't know what's real. It's like, fuck you. We get that from Trump. I don't fucking need that. It pissed me off. It's it's still worth seeing. Um, it's worth seeing, but... It it just it was just like fucking dishonest and it's like a joke and that wasn't funny. So that's my I love I like Dylan I love uh, Scorsese, but that film just kind of left a bad taste in my mouth. And then there was another one 
which just coincidentally featured Jacob Dylan, and I can't remember the name of it now, but it's uh, I think it's in the canyon, something about the canyon. It was just a film that Jacob Dylan, like a love letter to California, where I'm guessing he grew up, all about how in the 60s and a certain time, all these musicians lived next to each other. It was like Brian Wilson living next to David Crosby, blah, blah, blah. That film was just not great filmmaking, whereas uh, the Scorsese one, even though it was bullshit, was like well-made and kept your attention. This one was made by a record executive um, who I actually met. But, um, you know, I just, it was okay, but it was just, it felt like a TV show. This, the, the, the Linda Ronstadt movie, The Sound of My Voice, is a documentary, and it's about somebody. And I'm a, I was a fan of hers. I didn't, like, have all her records. I loved her hits. She was really cute and kind of a sex symbol. I kind of had a crush on her when I was a teenager. So I went to it, you know, thinking, oh, this will be fun. And it's about her life. It's about her being a real maverick, bucking the system. She was doing all these hits up through the 80s, and then just decided, I'm going to go and do music that I want to do. I'm going to do Spanish music. I'm going to do opera. I'm going to do stuff with Dolly Parton and Emmylou Harris and it's about her love for music and it's a little tragic she's still alive and I think she had a hand in making it so there's not too much expose but that's fine because it's not about you know whatever they have a little bit of her dating Jerry Brown if you know Linda Ronstadt's history but you know they they pass that off and the music the, the movie is about a person who loves music who became a star because she loves music who wasn't like who didn't use music to become a star and like being a star was sort of an after effect, you know, it's, and with all great artists, you know, Cobain, Lennon, almost anyone you can mention, at least people that I'm a fan of, the, a big fan of, with maybe the exception of Paul McCartney, because he obviously always wanted to be a star and seems like a bit of an egomaniac, but he's also a genius and a great songwriter. What am I going on about? Go see the Linda Ronstadt movie if you're into music. You know, it, it starts from the 60s and her relationship with the Eagles and it's a lot of good archival footage um but it's just a it's just a well-made documentary it's really moving and you know you know she's lost her voice recently because she has parkinson's i have you know someone in my family with parkinson's so you know that obviously touched me in a way but um that's it see succession if you get a chance it's probably streaming try and see the uh linda ronset movie and um that's it um so until next month and we have some more guests coming up, so I'm very excited. We're going to keep going with this. I'm having fun. But right now, here is my friend, Ralph Saul. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome to Mr. Movie Club. This is Barney Barn Barn with my good friend, Ralph Saul. Say hi, Ralph. Hi, Barney. <laughs> Is that the, am I doing it too much like a morning morning radio drive by? No, know? I'm tempted to say hi, Ralph. But yeah. uh, say hi. Yeah, did I say say hi, Ralph? You did, but yeah. uh, see, obviously, I'm not as slick as I. I, I said both, so we're covered. You can cut either in. Perfect. So uh, Ralph Salt is a director, writer, all around good guy, and someone I've known since childhood. Right? When did we meet? I I feel like we've had this conversation. Like, I feel like we didn't really get to know each other till high school, but I, we lived on the same block, right? And you went to BS 87, too, didn't you? I did. 
because I remember meeting you, like I think at PS eighty seven. I was like, "Oh, who's that kid? You had gla- you had these cool aviator glasses." <laughs> <laughs> well, I was only there till third grade. After that, oh, uh, you switched. That's right. Yeah. Maybe that's why we didn't. And, and then, but anyway, we both went to music and art high school, which that's is right. no longer around. Now it's LaGuardia. Um, and we're also, you know, we're Facebook friends and buddies. And every year or two, we go out and see a movie mm-hmm. and talk about it, and very often disagree, which is why I like. This is why I thought you'd be a good. Uh, Good podcast, um, podcast host. Um, let's talk about you a bit. You went to NYU, you, then you were out in LA writing for TV and right. stuff. And you know, we'll list all that stuff later. Um, you're working on a movie now, which we can't talk too much about, called Cortex. That's right. This is coming out 2020, or hopefully. I guess that's depending. Sure. Hopefully, yeah. <laughs> you want to? You just sort of give a little synopsis. It's a, it's an interesting. I know you. I've I've gotten a little sneak peek, but it's a. It's it's a murder mystery whodunit that takes place in the world of cutting edge neuroscience. Yeah, it's a little bit of Agatha Christie, a little bit of Primer for people that have seen that. A little bit of Flatliners. I'd love to talk about Primer. Primer was so confusing. Did you see, who's that director? Do you know his name? The guy who did you see his other film called? Um, what was his other film called? I, I, I'm trying. I try and make people not bring tools because I try not to Google on this show, but sometimes we break down. Um, uh, 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 upstream Color. That's right. Yeah. Did you see that? I saw most of it. That's a strange film. But Primer was even stranger. Not as not as high budget, not as beautiful. But um, like that, it's the time travel thing, right? Yes, exactly. It's the, they build a time machine of sorts in a storage locker right. out of very inexpensive materials. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the materials that they had the budget for for the yeah. movie. But uh, that part I didn't mind. I say I kind of like that inventiveness in uh, in movies. But well, there, there's a thing online called the uh, Primer Timeline. I've heard about this, and it is just crazy. If you look at, you can get a little close to the mic. Uh, that's fine. Yeah, there. Yeah, go ahead. So wait, so uh, Primer Timeline. I've heard about this, and it explains everything that goes on in if, the movie. If it's correct, most of the timeline is actually not in the movie. There's like this little piece from timeline 17 and this little piece from timeline four. And it's like all over the place. It's very, so it's like fans making shit up about it. I don't know. It, it looks very authoritative. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to assume that it's right, but I haven't checked it. Are you a fan of that film? Like, I it, love primer. It, I think primer is amazing. It's, it's not on your favorite film list, but I only saw it once and it was so confused. I saw it because I saw upstream color first and I found it. So, um, I found upstream color, like really kind of, uh, abstract and weird and cool and primer threw me because it was so specific like the the, the stuff that he was doing about how they're he, he it, it seems like the what primer was trying to do was get into the um uh uh what do you call it like time travel creates uh, paradoxes right and right. which your movie deals with a little bit i think right um and the the paradoxes of predicting the future or going back and forth and knowing the past or knowing what's going to happen and, it, and the whole thing the reason fans love it is because it gets into that minutia and, and what would probably happen unlike Back to the Future and more entertainment based time travel. That's right. It actually it feels legit even though it seems like it was made on half of a shoestring yeah. of a budget. Yeah. Um, there's something about it that you feel like you have real engineers in that case. Yeah. Um, really stumbling across something that might accidentally or half accidentally work. Right. My film is also real scientists in a real lab doing real science is the concept. Hopefully I've achieved that. But uh, uh, Primer is one of my favorite films. Your list of five films is, is 
you know, your request to me the top five. Top, top five, I yeah. Thought I it, but but no, I have this, a, this is great. I'm glad that we got into something. But like, I would just say yeah. that the primer is on my favorite film list of 50 films or whatever. Have you ever seen a film, maybe we spoke about this before, but now we're recording it. Um, have you ever seen a film called Time Crimes? Yes, I have. I thought that dealt with the, the that was a much cleaner like narrative, I thought. And that dealt with the, the paradoxes of time travel in a, in a much uh, a way that I understood, I don't know if it's better or, uh, you know, I just thought that you know the way he sees himself and all the spoiler alert. Here's the thing: at, at Mr. Movie Club, we don't care about spoilers. So <laughs> when we start talking about movies, we're going to talk about the middle and the ending. And um, okay, people just know that because I, I don't think you can talk about movies without talking about the essence of them. It's like you know, sure. Like how can you sure. talk about The Shining and not talk about the ending? You know? I like Time Crimes. I mean, I, I think I like Primer better. Time Crimes is more of a Standard film in many ways. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's, a, it's more accessible. Yeah, yeah, I agree. But um, um, were you uh, see? Were you like me? Were you always obsessed with uh, with time travel, like, uh, and and like for me, like remember the original Planet of the Apes? Right. My favorite was Escape from the Planet of the Apes because it's the whole thing where they go through a time warp and they go back to uh, what's his name's time and Zero and Cornelius then have a baby that creates the Planet of the Apes, which creates a paradox that makes no sense. Right. Because Caesar learned to talk because his parents could talk because they were from the future that he created. So it doesn't quite add up. Yeah, well, most films don't, most right. time travel films don't quite add up. Right. Uh, right. It takes a lot of explanation sometimes to make them add up fully for that kind of jerry-rigged uh, calculus. Well, if they did add up, then we'd actually know how to time travel, right? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we wouldn't do. It be like, wouldn't like Einstein and all the real scientists go, oh yeah, that's it, that's how you do it. <laughs> that would be uh but anyway i don't know about you but that's always i mean i don't, I don't want to say that's the reason i love film well let's let's start there so what got you into because i think in high school you and i gravitated towards each other because we were both you were an art student at music right not music <laughs> well we gravitated towards each other because we waited for the same bus every morning that's true and but, we uh... lived on the same block <laughs> but i remember like yeah and, and you know just again to talk about our history a bit like you helped my band miller 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 and sloan make right. videos and um you know, and then you went to NYU. I did not. I took some film courses at Parsons, which was much easier because I would, you know, go see a Hitchcock film and they would talk about it. It was like, oh, this is easy. But you, you actually took the whole film, did the whole film program. At I NYU. did. Yeah, I did. And but we started making movies in high school. We made movies yeah. together, you and I. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We made we made a bunch of stuff. And I, I, I feel like the thing that that we would always uh, hit up against. Like I remember doing, and I'll throw remain nameless. I doubt they're going to listen to this. I was doing a video. Um, I was doing a video for uh, uh, some, some friend of mine who did music, friend of my brother's actually, and um, his uh, girlfriend was in it, and she was. How can we put this in a in a PC way? She was the camera wasn't a fan of her. Okay, I don't know if you remember this, and you were yeah. arguing, yeah, you should tell him his girlfriend shouldn't be in the video, and I was like, well, you know, it's it's kind of she's like part of his band and stuff, and, and like you were like, yeah, but. It's really gonna make the video <laughs> like, and I just noticed that you that you were more like I was just oh I'm gonna make a friend make a video and you were more focused on hey let's let's make something really good like I noticed that like you always had a, 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 a an ambition to really make stuff like as good as possible whereas I just wanted to kind of have fun with it and then we both stumbled we became professionals you know you with writing and directing me with editing but I just I I, I always. Remember that as a touchstone. Maybe it's something you don't remember. Yeah, well, I, I don't remember that thing, and we're, okay. we're probably talking about a 13-year-old me, so if I was less than nah, 
subtle about it. I think we like. I think this was more high school. This was like 15, 16. Anyway, but um. Okay, <laughs> we're talking about a high school. Me, I, I don't remember that thing specifically, um, but I, I think you're right on about me in terms of being uh, a perfectionist. I want to do yeah. it as good as I can. Yeah, uh, and that's kind of more where I'm wired. I certainly have friends that want to have fun making movies, yeah, yeah, and I yeah, would yeah. rather. Uh, in some ways, have less fun <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and make sure it's great. Well, yeah, I bet you as, remember as this. I, can. I remember when you were in LA and I came out and visited you a couple of times, and uh, you were working on, uh, you know, I can list this here, right? You you worked on uh, shows like the Anima- Animatics, uh, Animani- Animaniacs, 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 yeah. uh, The Mask, Ace Ventura, and dozens more. Um, and I remember you were saying you were working on some show and. You were saying how like a lot of your coworkers wanted to go out and get a drink. You were like, "No, I just want to keep working." You know, uh-huh. and, and, and it's interesting because like you know, I I fell into editing and I do that for commercials and music videos, and and I like it. And, and when it's when the work is good, I I I, I want to stay and work too. But I've never had. It seems like, let's put it this way: Did your love of film come before your work ethic, or were they kind of entwined? Like, how would you uh, characterize your your drive? Uh, I think the work ethic comes first, which is not to say that I have the world's most perfect work ethic across the board, but if I'm passionate about something creatively, I just don't want to stop. So even if you had ended up being a painter or some other creative endeavor, you... you... Yeah, I mean, I I, I did make Super 8 movies and the like Mm -hmm. before I went to uh, Music and Art where I met you. Yeah. But at the start of music and art, I was doing animated films. Right, right. Um, and uh, I would work forever on those too. Yeah. Um, and even before that, like in my, whatever, 11-year-old Dungeons and Dragons days, I would draw dragons and knights for hours and hours and hours or paint minifigures and the like. So I'm a bit obsessive when I have a creative hook in me. Yeah. It's, don't you find, I, I find that like, you know, People you meet as kids and then they become adults. Like some of the ones that you think are going to be the most creative, like end up doing, you know, working on Wall Street or whatever. And some of the ones who you think, oh, that guy's just, uh, he's really focused, but uh, I don't know what he's going to do with his life. And they end up going into creative. Like I, I find like some, it's some kind of counterintuitive, like who, who becomes a, a quote unquote creative person. Like I, I feel the people, let's put it this way the people who get successful at creative work have to have the drive too. And I find, that you can find people who have drive or they're really creative, but if they don't have both, then you're not going to get, you know, get above, above ha- hobbyist or whatever. Yeah, I, I don't know. You I think, disagree if, if you well, think, I think I'm it's, talking. I think it's a complicated mixture. I think yeah. it's hard to, unless you have a time machine, know what combination of drive well, and luck. Ralph, we have a time machine. <laughs> awesome. We'll turn on the time. No, I'm kidding. Um, yeah. It, well, luck, it, a lot of it is, a lot of it is, is uh, destiny, I guess, you know, depends on whether you're a, uh, what's the word? A compa- um, uh, a determinist, or right. a uh, we're going to get deep on philosophy. Here. Right. Well, I, I guess neurologically speaking, I think what I'm um, what you call a materialist, which is that I think everything comes down to basic components. Right. So, Me too. in a some way, there's destiny because you're no more than what you put together from the pieces of the universe around you, including your kind of predestined biology. Right. Um, but I don't believe in uh, destiny in that. Uh, there's a mandate from a higher force above that. Right, right, right. So it's not a it's not a religious or or faith based, but 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 if it, if if you're a determinist in that way, or uh, what, do you, what did you call it, materialist in that way, that does kind of preclude getting back to our time travel talk. It does kind of preclude the idea 
it, it kind of says, oh, of course there's a paradox, whether it can be a silly entertainment film like Sliding Doors, which I never saw, but we all know the premise, or something like, um, what's the primer? I think the problem with illustrating those paradoxes is the fact that, like, if it's a determinist universe and, and molecules are bumping into each other and whatever, you know, if I go like that, it's going to go like that, then that's why time travel is just not possible. But I'm not a physics professor, so I have no idea. <laughs> well, well, we're, we're way out of my depth on this, but yeah. I, I don't, I don't think that makes time travel impossible. I mean, I think that uh, improbable, that, at least, or improbable for humans to perceive. Like if it's happening, uh, like if I time traveled, I wouldn't be able to tell you about it because that would create a paradox. I suppose it also I depends on what you mean here. by time travel. Like right. Einstein believes that the past, the present, and the future all happen at once. There's no actual right. division between them. So that's but not. But does quite... that mean the past exists, or does that mean it's all... only the now? Well, I believe what he's saying. I love and how again, deep this I'm way out of my depth on this, but let's do it. But I believe what he's saying is that they all exist at once, like a stamped block of information, or Wait, like like a, like a book, right? Right. Um, and my movie goes into this better than I do because yes. I can write those things down and get them closer to write, you know. Which on, is why I want to have you back when the movie's out because I think um, it's going to be a fascinating. No, that's not quite the same as travel, right? Right. So uh, just because there is a book doesn't mean you know how to turn the pages back and forth and land on any page you want. So I'm not cool. sure if you're splitting those hairs, but uh, I do actually believe that block time exists and that choice is largely a really great illusion, but uh, we do have something approximating choice, and that's all we have with almost everything is approximating those things we think we have. We, we so, have the illusion of choice. So we, it, whether it's an illusion or not, we feel like we have a choice, so we might as well exercise it. Right? And we have as close to choice as is possible, <laughs> which is not right. bad. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> it's like, oh, do you have free will? It's like, well, it doesn't matter if I actually have it. If... It, because if I can't physically have it, there's no point in talking about that. But if I feel like I have it, there's no point in not doing anything because I'm going to do it anyway, right? I think that most people can actually uh, come to realize pretty quickly they don't have the level of choice they thought. Right. So I see you have a Diet Coke there, right? So when you I go, did not choose it. okay, well <laughs> that's a whole <laughs> other issue. But let's assume that you went to the store on your corner, right around the corner, and you said to yourself. Do I want a Diet Coke or a regular Coke, right? So you've narrowed your choices down. We always narrow what we think of our choices down to a few things. Right. But someone at some point or some uh, process at some point has excluded 99.9999% of the choices that you could have had that you never even asked yourself if you want to consider them. Just so, because of the circumstances of the universe. Uh, and because your brain is actually right. narrowing down choices right, 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 without right. you consciously being aware of it. Right, right. So even if you think you've chosen between two things, what was the process that eliminated everything else? Well, you and I probably listen to a lot of the same podcasts. And like there's one I was listening to, I think it was Sam Harris. And, and you know, he's very against, not against free, he, he thinks we don't have free will. And he makes a good point. He's like, when you have a thought, do you think it or does it come up into your brain? And it, I don't know if you read his book, Free Will, but it's really fascinating because he talks about the fact that that if you have a thought, it, that gets your brain as mysteriously as anything else, as, as a pimple or, you know, like if your foot starts hurting. Like it's all, it's all, your consciousness notices the thought. You're, you're, you, you know, it's, it doesn't work. You know, it's chicken or the egg, of course, and it, it, it's, you know. 
it's one of the biggest philosophical conundrums, you know, consciousness. But your consciousness notices the thought. The thought doesn't notice consciousness. So, so I think that kind of. I, I, I do. We're know not going to talk work. about movies. We're just going to talk about <laughs> consciousness. <laughs> I, I, People are going to think we're so I, high. I agree with with a lot of what Sam Harris is saying, and yeah, obviously yeah. he's a super smart dude, and a neuroscientist. Well, how's this for a segue? Because filmmaking is kind of a time machine. Obviously, it only goes. Um, well, it goes for it. It looks backwards, and we play it forward. So, um, speaking of time, so so the the movie. So you gave me a list of favorite films. I'll read them all because I've seen them all. Uh, Amadeus, Raising Arizona, Seven Samurai, Star Wars. You put Star Wars in 1977. Here, I don't want to start an argument and real nerd fest, but it's just Star Wars. It's not Episode Four. It's just I call that movie Star Wars. That's that, that's what well, I, I know. You I, did that to be specific. But. Yeah, very. I mean, I'm more specific than most people because to me, even the second they slap on a New Hope, yeah, they started I, I, to yeah. undermine the movie. I agree. So they agree. they did that only a couple of years after the first release. I think it was. Oh, I thought that all started when he made the other three. No, you might. Be well, right. there were a lot of stages to this, but I think the one of the first things they did to change Star Wars nineteen seventy seven was they just changed the title and the opening crawl very slightly. Uh, crawl very slightly. Wait, was it actually ever was nineteen seventy seven part of the title? Itself? No, no, no. Oh, but okay. but it became Star Wars. It started off as Star Wars, and it became Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. Right. I think by maybe four years later or so. Oh, so I... very soon before they started to digitally change stuff, they changed just that. Aspect so, he, so Lucas changed that before he made the other the three nineties films, the which I don't even know. You know, I believe he I believe he made that change very close to when he came out with um, uh, Empire. Okay, very very interesting. Well, that makes it a little more. I I thought it was all because I thought he did anyway. I don't want to go down that rabbit. I'd rather go to the time rabbit. I like Star Wars, but I'm not I'm not a huge. And then Midnight Cowboy was your fifth one. But the one I want to deep dive on is Raising Arizona because mm-hmm. I just did a podcast with another friend of mine and we talked about um, Mandy. I think I started asking you this in the hallway. Have you seen that new Nicolas Cage film, Mandy? No. Um, it's kind of a, a like a midnight kind of culty film. Mm-hmm. Have you heard about it? Um, you should check it out because okay. it's it, to me. Um, Nicholas Cage, and he's had a lot of good performances. I think his best two performances are in Raising Arizona and in this new film, Mandy, which is a some call of a uh, sort of a revenge porn film. Mm-hmm. But it's about it's a real like, and I can't remember the name of the director, but we'll we'll put all that online when we release this. But uh, it's it's about this guy who's like a a woodworker, and he's with his wife, and his wife gets brutally killed by this sort of like Manson like cult. And then the rest of the film is a very like over the top. Um, almost campy revenge film and this other guy I was talking to my friend Dale Oates who's a director was talking about it's like no there's all this like there's all this allegory this political allegory and, and religious allegory and I was like oh shit and I've seen it twice because I really loved it but the main reason I loved it is because Nicholas Cage so I'm wondering obviously I think we're both Coen Brothers fans mm-hmm. yeah um, I just watched Raising Arizona recently um <laughs> not not because of this interview, but uh, well, you, you have that over me. But okay, <laughs> no, I mean I, I watched it when it came out too. But I but I I watched it pretty recently because um, I thought oh you know maybe this will be you know my daughter's thirteen now and I thought oh and she did like it, you know um, most other Coen Brothers films you can't really play for a thirteen year old, but um, I was a little afraid. I was like ah oh, it's gonna seem really dated. And here's the thing, like you know filmically and you know, technically maybe a little bit, but man it fucking holds up. Have you not seen it in uh, recently? No, not the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, um, do, do you watch Barry, the HBO show? Yes. Oh, Barry takes a lot from the Coen Brothers. I think. The, this yeah. most recent episode of Barry, I thought. Oh my god! It, it, it also helps. with with the girl. 
with the with the husband with the lover of the cops right but, but then there's the daughter right again spoiler alert but there's this amazing fight scene with with a judo and it's, and it's and it's bombastic and ridiculous what i love about barry i was having an argument with a friend like if you go online some people didn't like that episode they're like oh a, a, a trained marine can't take a 12 year old girl and it's like well, first of all the, the the subtext was despite what barry does he doesn't want to you know he's he's not a psychopath and he doesn't want to kill a twelve year old. He obviously has issues, but it's also like shows like Barry. It's and a lot of Coen Brothers films are like this. Tell me if you agree. It's like it's a it's about ridiculous situations and how normal people would react in those ridiculous situations. Like so, I feel like the emotional reactions in Barry are real, but the situations are you know with her flying off the walls and stuff are like kind of. Like over the top and ridiculous, you know, like in like like in Raising Arizona to stay well, on that, like you know, the kidnapping the babies and and then the guy on the motorcycle, like what the fuck is that guy, you know? Um, well, you know, what were you gonna say? Well, about, I, I've never thought about how it. did you relate Barry to Raising Arizona? Well, just just on this one note, and I guess this is something those two uh, that film and that HBO show have in common is that they both basically say normal people are ridiculous. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but particularly that episode, it has a certain kind of manic action quality right. where the normalcy becomes a fight between life and death. So yeah. so Barry is just trying to be normal there, right? He's just trying to be a guy that doesn't do the wrong thing, that doesn't kill the innocent guy, right. that doesn't hurt the little girl. Right, 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 right. And this other guy is just trying to be the guy that like uses his training to stop the guy that's threatening his life, that's oh, broken into his house. And because of who they are, it's actually a little bit like that fight scene in Raising Arizona where they're trying to fight inside the, um, probably like a double wide or something. And uh, Nicolas Cage scrapes his hands on the ceiling. Oh, yes, and they, yes, like, yeah, they, yeah, It's yeah. all just normal stuff and normal furniture, but it's in the way. So it's yeah, kind yeah. of how normalcy just- It's that big fight, yeah, yeah, yep, yep. Has this ability to be tapped for this manic comedy. Yeah. Uh, so, so both of those, um, Barry and Raising Arizona, have a lot of overlap in that way. And I, and I think that, Raising Arizona for me was inspirational, probably also for the makers of Barry, in that it was so smart and so yeah. well written, and combining slapstick with such a great ability to kind of capture a clever phrase and uh, a yeah. genius little moment. Um, so that was very much an inspirational film for me. I saw that film, I think it hadn't come out yet, at a screening at NYU, oh, wow. where the tiny screening room in the basement of NYU was packed so much so that people were sitting on the floor and I literally spent that movie rolling on the floor with laughter because that's where I was sitting I had my feet pressed up against the wall of the screen wow I was that close to that so you, movie so you, saw, you saw like Nicolas Cage like, exactly I saw it like giants and uh, it, maybe yeah. that's why it's such a giant film in my mind yeah. but it's a liter- it was literally like but I don't think I had seen anything like that except for maybe and this maybe ties to cartoons it reminded me a little bit of Bugs Bunny yep, and that yep. the, the verbiage was right on, but so was the way to visualize an incredible manic humor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that's a really good point. I mean, in a way, it's funny. You know, I, my day gig is editing, editing commercials. I don't do a lot of comedy stuff, but, you know, a lot of the stuff that wins awards in commercials are like what I call you know, sort of cubicle humor. It's, and it's all very deadpan. The camera hardly moves and everything is and, – and, and, and there's a bunch of directors. I don't even know their names because they don't work with me. I do more beauty and visual and camera moving stuff. But a lot of the stuff that wins awards and commercials is like this very deadpan. You know, the Geico commercials a few years ago used to be kind of the uh, – I think uh, FedEx had a few like this in the the – 
<coughs> excuse me, um, you know, the Skittles ones. I'm sure you've seen those ones, and they're all very – and every time I see that stuff, that deadpan style – I mean, a lot of them are, are now taken from, like, Wes Anderson, but a lot of that comes – I think it was all born with Raising Arizona, like that whole – that whole style of like, we're going to be really. Um, uh, I mean, the Coen Brothers, I think, have done this throughout their career. Even in Blood Simple, which Blood Simple came out before Raising Arizona, yes. right? Yeah. So you we, had you seen Blood Simple when you saw Raising I had. Arizona? Yeah. yeah. I remember Blood Simple kind of blew me away, even mm-hmm. though it was kind of a more traditional cop, you know, sort of crime drama thing. The way, but the, it had a specific, nod. It had a nod. And, and it was to... funny in parts too. You know, for sure. But what I was going to say is that uh, it had a nod to filmmakers. Like you knew that you were watching people that cared about right. cinema and had a level of intellectualism about it beyond just a shoot 'em up. So that film starts and the, with the, the film language, the way, like how they place the camera and like how they how they put the, the thing together. You know, not I, mean, I think the writing too, but I, I think a lot of it was was. The, the the style the stylization of right how they so the genre is not particularly a highbrow genre I mean right. one thing they do is they take things that are almost the antithesis of highbrow right and then they bring their own New York yeah. uh, verbally acute sensibilities yeah to them but I was just thinking about maybe the first sequence in Blood Simple where I think they're driving in the rain and right. it's the credit sequence and you're looking through the windshield and the Wipers are wiping. I remember that the text of the credits. Yes, yes, yes. And if you're a filmmaker, particularly a geeky film student, which is I'm sure exactly what I was, you couldn't help but pat yourself on the back for thinking that you not only got that, but you were kind of in, you know, the same click right, right. as the filmmakers that were making that joke. It was also the kind of thing that wasn't done in independent because that was a real independent film. Yeah, like you for wouldn't sure. like. And I, m- I remember reading an article at the time when people said. Well, when Blood Simple came out, you guys, you know, it felt like a real entertaining film. And, like, I remember like the Coen brother, one of the Coen brothers was saying, it's like, well, yeah, we were trying to just make a movie that people want to see. You know, like, like there was a, you know, kind of in that time period, like Down by Law and the more sort of shoegazer type art, art school film, mm-hmm. you know, which which would not do, you know, maison scene and, you know, uh, montage editing and, and you know. It, 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 what I what I love about them is their stuff is so smart, but it's also almost always entertaining at the same time, and I, mm-hmm. I find that's a combination that those guys um, do. I haven't seen Blood Simple in a while. I want to see it it's, again. It's a good uh, opposite side of the spectrum to Primer, for example. Oh, that's interesting. So they're both very smart filmmakers, mm-hmm. uh, very smart movies, but uh, one of them has its roots maybe in those Bugs Bunny type. Entertainments we're talking about. They're I really... never thought of that, but I think that's a great. That's a great point. Well, like, as you say, they're entertaining, right? I mean, yes. they're, not, they're not just entertaining, but they are looking to vibe with that type of audience response. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. While Primer says, "I don't care, really." Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, like yeah. They're going to be <laughs> yeah. in an office park, and they're going to both be wearing the same type of shirts and ties. Yeah, yeah. And they're yeah. just going to talk about their weird theories of time travel, like real guys would if they were taking this seriously. Well, what's funny is, if you're talking about the aesthetics of it, I mean, it may have just been the budget, but but I I think what you're getting at is that that filmmaker isn't as interested in the same things that like filmmakers like the Coen brothers are. And it's not like one's better than the other. No, There's no, just, I'm not making just, a value judgment. I'm saying it's right. interesting exactly it's just, that, yeah, they, that yeah. they have one area they completely overlap, right. which is the kind of intellectualism right. in a way, and another way where they're polar opposites. Right, exactly. You can get a little bit closer. Is, sure. he, is he too far from the mic or is he cool? Oh, all right. So I'll shut up because I'm not an engineer. Um, yeah, but uh, 
raising Arizona. Have you seen the Coen Brothers? Have you seen the Coen Brothers' latest film, uh, Buster Scruggs? If yes. you get the full title. Yes. Did you see it in the theater, or no. did you see it on uh, Netflix? Uh, Netflix. Yeah, yeah. What would you think? Well, I love their work, so I don't want to be like a yeah, trashing yeah. guy. I would say that for me, it was uneven. You know, I, I've written a film that is a series of short stories tied together by a theme right. um, that I'm hoping to do maybe next. So I'm a little bit critical of the format because I think it's a potentially great format. For me, my uh, format, you don't mean Netflix, you mean the, the short, short stories. No, the, the, the idea of a collection of short stories yep, tied yep, together yep. by theme. Um, uh, I didn't love them evenly. Uh, I found them collectively to be sad. Yeah, uh, they were very. I, yeah, it was a very melancholy. Uh, in a way that that uh, I didn't really want them to be. You know, I think Cohen. I think the the raising Arizona era, if yeah, you yeah. will, was very in some ways life affirming. I mean, certainly raising Arizona is totally life affirming. Right? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. The, that's about a barren couple that does the wrong thing yeah, yeah. and then does the right thing and we're left with a great sense of hope for them. Yeah, especially right? the very ending, that last shot when it's, it's and he's having the dream fantasy about, about his life and Right, the so what does it yeah. say? Dreams are possible, yeah, right? Yeah. So, and, and life is possible even if you're told life is not possible, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So what does Buster Scruggs say? Well, a little more I, I have, yeah, I think so. I, yeah. I think there's a certain sense of like, death is not only possible, it's a coming. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, there's it, a certain amount of be... futility to like anything that you aspire to. Now, I'm not sure if every single one of those pieces says that the last one, specifically. Definitely. I'm not sure if the Gold Rush one is right. quite so negative. But the overall sense I had it was just a sense of futility that uh, wasn't my cup of tea for the breadth of that, particularly because the first one is so full of possibility, right? Yeah. This like this singing uh, cowboy that can kind of shoot anything again, yeah, very yeah. like Bugs Bunny, right? Like he's so gonna... then they pull the rig out from under you again. Spoiler alert! Uh, uh, yeah, and you, uh, even though they're being comedic, they're, it, what's interesting is it's kind of the most comedic film in a while since Raising Arizona, like openly comedic. I mean, that whole scene where then he gets shot and then he goes up on the wings, you know, and right. then the other cowboys singing and they're both singing together, right. you know. I mean, that kind of made me chuckle, even though I agree it was a, a kind of a, the 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 uh, the subtext was of, of that and most of them again, with the possible exception of the gold rush, was um, was was negative, you know. Yeah, and I, actually, I have to admit to myself that I think if I watch that film again, Buster Scruggs again, five years, ten years, twenty years from now, if I'm alive that long, yeah, yeah. Um, I might feel very differently about it. But right now, for me, that's just not like that level. A fatalism, I think that maybe ties back into cortex and you know where I am as a filmmaker. If you're pushing a boulder up a mountain for a decade yeah. <laughs> to, to get a movie done, uh, is that when you wrote cortex? Yeah, is it been I'm, ten years now? Wow. Yeah, I mean I probably shouldn't have said that, but um, well, well, anyway, pre-congrats. For, I mean, because you filmed it all, you know, even though you're still working on it. Pre-congrats for getting it done, man. It's it's, it's impressive. Thank you. Uh, well, we'll, you'll, we'll see what you think when it's done. Yeah, yeah. I, I read somewhere recently there's no A for effort in the film industry. Well, well, may, maybe between friends there is, but certainly you know between audience. Well, and, well, there's another thing I want to talk to you about about kind of the stuff I was. You saw my argument on Facebook about commerce versus uh, versus art, but 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 I keep cutting your point out. So so you so you're saying with your mindset of having worked on this thing that you're finishing, 
to, to see a film that says that, ah, there's no point. We're all going to die anyway. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it might, yeah, it's, might be kind of a killjoy. I, right? I must admit that this particular yeah. you know year of my life, I would much rather watch The Matrix, where we go, oh, like all I need to do is be a computer nerd, and suddenly yeah, yeah. I can like warp space and time. Like that's very empowering. Well, it, it, it's it's funny because I really like Buster Scruggs, and and like I agree, it's definitely dark, especially the the one with um. One with the girl and, and the the trail like that one just broke my heart, you know. Right. And, and she finds her love, you know. In that one, I, I did a little research on Buster Scruggs. That one was based on a story, and with, they hardly changed the thing. Like uh-huh. that is actually how that story ends. Uh-huh. It's it, it, and some of them were, were they they said they wrote them kind of separately, and they kind of just glued them all together. Um, but uh, but it's interesting because it talks about how you're at different places in your life. You know, I've, as you know, without getting into it, I've I've had some tragedies in my family and stuff, and like. I actually like I kind of enjoy fatalist stuff, uh, you know, stuff that basically says, eh, you know, you know, we don't really know what happens, but chances are, you know, it's all dust, and you know, and you, you know, it 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 doesn't end well for anybody, right? And and in a way that almost gives me hope in in a counterintuitive totally. way because it makes me realize, oh, like if you really if you're really in the moment and doing something you like. That's as good as that's right. as good as no. it gets. And you know? I, I totally understand that. Yeah. I think, and I, and I don't mean to imply that when you're happy, you want happy films, and when you're sad, you want. No, sorry, when you're happy, you want sad films, and when you're sad, you want happy films. Right, of course, right, right. sometimes when you're sad, you want to know that people understand you, right, or right. the universe well, is in accord with that. I would say right after tragedy, I wouldn't suggest people watch <laughs> Buster Scruggs. Like while you're, like you know, like if you, you I, I wouldn't like come from a funeral and watch that film. But I think right. when there's a few years ago by with reflection, if you're if you're thinking of, this gets into an interesting topic because I have this theory and tell me and I ask, I've asked all my guests this you're my third so far, is specifically in film, but I would you could almost broaden it to any kind of artwork that most good artwork, A it's it's dealing with our mortality, that's the human condition. All creative work kind of deals with that in some way, either obliquely or overtly. But I would say, for me, the art the films that I really like are, in some way, meditations on death, grief, and and mortality. Like almost in that order. Almost more about death. Like I'm not I'm not describing this well. To be honest, if I'm to be totally honest, the thought in my head is like, good films are are often about how people deal with grief. But again, that might just be the lens that I'm looking at because that's kind of I would I would argue that. I mean, I think. Yeah. Have you seen Inside Lewin Davis just to stay on the Coen Brothers? I have. What did you think of that film? Um, not, not one of their. It's, for me, that's kind of a, you a know, light, mid-tier. Uh, I think it's. I, I, look, they're they're amazing filmmakers, and every one of their films has amazing filmmaking in it. And would you uh, say they're worth watching more than once? Usually, I think. Yeah, probably every single one yeah. of them you could watch a dozen times if you're a filmmaker. But well, well, just to my real quick, Lewin Davis I saw a couple times, and what's interesting is is. I saw it after somebody in my family died, and I didn't even pick up on it. But the, the whole film is about his partner who died. Who, uh uh-huh. And uh, like you kind of like, but it's not. But it's not about. It. They hardly talk about him, and he's not in the movie. Like except they play a, him right. singing a song for. It. So I, I think the Coen Brothers are really good at doing that of showing you something when it's like, hey, we're really talking about this. But it's like you have to watch it. Well, a the, times the most to, get that. to me, the most amazing example of that is Miller's Crossing. See, that's the one film I, I, see, I, I think, saw that once. I can't here, see that Here's again. the thing about Moe's Crossing, from my perspective. With from, Albert Finney, right? Yes. Yeah, I have that on Blu-ray, and I've, I haven't seen it in years. It's my sense that, that a humongous section of the audience doesn't know 
the equivalent of what you're talking about with Inside Lewin Davis. They don't right. understand the key event that's happened in the past that informs everything. Because they barely mention it. Yeah. They don't show it. Right. They barely mention it. And uh, it is an unusual thing to have happened. Yeah. yeah so yeah. I'm going to ruin this now for people no, no, uh, that haven't seen again, the movie. I'm, but uh, First rule of Mr. Movie Club, <laughs> everything is a spoiler. Okay. So. All right. Um, there is a basically this, gay love triangle. In Miller's Crossing. In Miller's Crossing. Ah. That is the foundation of all the stuff that's going on. That is fascinating. And the fact that these three gangsters, or actually, I guess, only two of them are really gangsters. I'm not sure what the third one is. Maybe a con man or something. But but these three toughs are basically all involved in this um, antagonistic, homosexual, whatever, 1920s era and gay love all, triangle. They're in the closet, of course, because of the time period. Is that? The, uh, I, have, I, I can't um, remember that film. You know, at the all. interesting thing is that they're 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 largely known to people. Uh-huh. So there are lines in the film, and I may not be quoting this exactly, but there are lines like, "Everybody knows that Minx is the Dane's boy." Oh, I see. You know, and it yeah. kind of sounds like, you know, "Oh, we're amigos." You know, Steve Buscemi has this thing about how they're just, they're just amigos, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, Buscemi's so in that. People know about it. Well, I think Steve Buscemi is part of that triangle. Yeah, right. And it's his body that they discover. I think in the woods originally, right? It's been I, 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 it's been so long. I, it's been I a long time since I've seen it too. Film. I but, gotta see but it again. if you don't know that there is this gay lovers triangle at the core of Miller's Crossing, you're not going to see it in the same kind of with Wait, the same kind of nuance. They kill Buscemi early in that film too. The one that what's the the, the biggest cover by this film? The dude, I can't remember what it's called. What's the, the Big Lebowski? The Big Lebowski. That's one of the films I was like, eh, this one's okay. And then I saw it like ten years later. I was like, oh, it's fucking. You know, you ever do that with a film? Like you see it later and for it, sure and. And but what always bugged me about the film is because I love Buscemi like everybody is like why does he die so early? Like, <laughs> I'm like you got this great character actor one of like the greatest character actor of our generation you always killing him off early so well it's one of their almost ongoing jokes right yeah I'm sure I'm uh, sure I'm sure they but they, I think I think it's great I mean you know killing off a surprise character in a movie is a great way to keep your audiences at keep, the edge of their, keep seats. Them on their toes yeah yeah. yeah um, yeah, I, I think that's right. I mean, as I'm thinking back to Moe's Crossing, I'm pretty sure that what happens is that Steve Buscemi's character gets killed early on uh-huh. uh, and he gets dumped out at Moe's Crossing. Um, uh, All right, I got to see. I gotta, and I and the, see the Dane, again. who is uh, you know, in no ways indicative of what we think of as like a uh, gay 1920s uh Stereotype, right, right, right. He's a totally macho, gun-toting, biggest badass in the film, gangster. Um, he is furious that that uh, his lover has been killed. Wow, I, I gotta say, I, I, I hope I have that right. <laughs> but 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 it's not overt. Again, like like the suicide. It's not in even Moon in the movie. Davis. I mean, you don't really see any of these things in the movie. But you but you're you're, you're saying this is your theory about what the subtext of the movie. Well, they all is. talk about it. I mean, I. I, I I may have some of the details not precise, but the exact concept is is the core of the core of the movie. I got to I got to got to like check that out now. Um, speaking of like gangsters who have like you know lives that are not stereotypical, did you see? You're just making me think of this film that I just caught by flipping around. We have HBO for some reason. I shouldn't. It's a waste of money. But um, and I don't even watch Game of Thrones, which we can talk about. But I, I, I have I have HBO basically for Bill. I can Maher. talk a lot about Game of Thrones. I have I have HBO just from Bill Maher, and the thing is, like, you can get all the clips, all the good clips of Bill Maher the next day on the internet. So it's a waste. But what I do, so I'm not not wasting the money, is that if I get home late from work, I'll just flip around. I'm like, let me just say, and often like I'll be surprised by some B movie 
like um, I would never would have watched this. I saw this uh, movie uh, Game Night, and it's actually a really funny movie uh-huh. with the uh, uh, what's his name, the guy from um, is Tina Fey in that? Not Tina Fey. Uh, this is why I should like Joe Rogan. I should have a computer, but I hate doing that, so I'm not going to do that. But uh, that's not the movie I want to mention. The movie I want to mention, which I also don't remember the name. Who's Who's the guy? Who's the bad guy in Mad Men? And he was he had his and in, in uh, Mad in the new Mad Max. And he was also in the Batman movie, and he always has his face covered, that British actor. Oh, I know who you're talking about. Yeah. Um, you're going to have a bad time with me remembering names. Oh, yeah. Uh, Will, you don't, you don't know the name of the guy we're talking about, do you? I'm asking our engineer, Will. Um, anyway, that guy is in a, in a movie Tom, about— Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy. Have yeah. you seen uh, You Cheated? I saw that. I didn't cheat. Um, I, I, well, <laughs> I didn't actually get to opening it up. Okay. For it the came, record, I did, I did not cheat. Just thinking of Google, thinking of Google made the name come back. Um did you see this? He did this little movie. You know who the brother, the Cray brothers are? Yeah. Um, did you see the movie that where he played both the Cray brothers? It didn't get a lot of play here. I think it, I think it was a British film. And anyway, the, the the Cray brothers were these gangsters. You know, it's a biopic, and he played both parts. And one of the brothers is was like closeted, and it was the same kind of thing that you're talking about. In Miller's Crossing it was like really macho, but like it was this. But it, it was specifically that was it was actually integral to the part. Anyway, it was an underrated movie, and I thought Hartman was. Um, What's his name again? The actor? Tom Hardy. Tom Harding, right? Hardy, I think. Hardy. Tom Hardy. He was amazing in it. Like, and I didn't recognize who he was because I'd seen Mad Max, Thunder Road, but you never see his fucking face. So, um, Anyway. Um, but wait, he, but he's not the bad guy in that movie. He's, he's both bad guys. He's, no, I'm sorry. In, in the Mad Max movie, he's not the, No, no, I know. You're talking about Bane? He's the bad guy? Right. In, no, but... In, um. But for lots of, lots of the Mad Max, Bane is in the is who he plays in the Batman. Movie. Where his face is covered, right? But his face is also covered in lots of uh, um, the Mad Max movie because he's tied up on that thing with the guitar player. Like, he it's not the whole movie, but he, his face is covered for a lot of okay. that movie. All right, because I think because he has like a mask. that's not my memory of it, but okay. I may I may be, <laughs> you may be you may be placing are we, are Bane we, are we inside it, of Mad Max. Are we splitting it to parallel universe like yeah, Baron exactly. seen bears and you know you know that whole thing the whole uh, like. Some people think um, the president of South Africa died in prison. Have you heard about this thing? No. There's these. There's these. It kind of gets back to our time travel stuff. There's these theories. There's these kids' books called the Berenstain Bears. Yeah, I know the the characters. How, how do you remember the book? What, what are they called? Just the name of it. Oh, I don't know what they're called. They were called the Bear. Here's the. They were called the Baron. I think it's the Berenstain Bears. But everyone remembers the Berenstain Bears. That's how I remember it. But right, no. But there's this whole. Go online. After after our podcast, uh-huh. and there's this whole theory where people who remember it as Berenstein Bears are from like a parallel universe, where it's slightly <laughs> different. It's a serious. It's a serious. I mean, people joke about it, but it's a serious. But here's the thing, because you know, I had kids and, and they had those books, but I remember it as the Bernstein Bears. So I'm like from a third parallel right, universe. Right. So, um, well, there are all these movie lines that people remember one way, and then they're they're, they're famous for being a certain movie line. Then you like go play it against him. He never said right, right? that kind of thing. It's like right. play it. You played it for him. You played it for me. Um, I love I love all that stuff. Uh, you all right? So I have a section in my podcast called Inside Film Ball. It's mm-hmm. like Inside Baseball, and okay. I got to work on that. But, all right, but, but maybe let's call it Inside Baseball or Inside Film might be enough. Yeah, but I like Film Ball because it's, <laughs> it's your show. <laughs> all right, now it's time for Inside Film Ball. Now you told me you don't you don't care about digital versus film and all that shit, but um, how about this? Since you worked, no, on... I, I wouldn't say that I don't care. I mean, I, I'm just saying that I don't have. You don't have a passion. There's not one team that I think I'd always be rooting for. I think, uh, fair enough. 
But um, I talked about that with other people, so let's not talk about that. But let's talk about this. Uh, the fact, and I have talked about this with other people too, but the fact that movies now you can, you know, that what is a movie and what is a TV show? That's kind of the thing I want to get to. You've worked on TV. You lived in L.A. for a bunch of years. You were writing for TV shows. Now you're making a feature. I'm sure you've heard all the stuff about, like, uh, you heard about um, uh, Steven Spielberg saying, oh, the Academy shouldn't allow Netflix films if, if, they're play- if they're streaming, if they're not solely playing in theaters. Buster Scruggs was uh, one of those Netflix films, which mm-hmm. is both. This might get into the territory of you know my issue with too many superhero films taking resources away from smaller films. And now like companies like Netflix are filling that void. But what's, like to me, filmmaking is filmmaking. I don't, and, and the line is so blurred now. I don't care if it's a TV show, if it's episodic, or if it's film. Or, are you still like a traditionalist? And, like Film is one and a half to two hours in a theater projected. What's your take? Well, I know that was a convoluted yeah. question. <laughs> well, well, when when does it matter? Answer all those questions, right? So, 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 in many instances, it doesn't matter, right? So that's my take. Uh, but if you have an award ceremony, it right. matters, right? So, uh, it is fair if you're having some kind of contest to have rules and to have lines, right? So it is fair to say this is included and this is excluded in this contest potentially, right? So you, you agree with Spielberg. No, no, okay. not necessarily. I'll let you finish. Um, so it depends what you want to uh, award and promote and why. I would say, for instance, if you you could say long-form, uninterrupted content, and I would be happy with that. So if it was – As opposed to an episodic TV well, show. Well, so like if they're going to have – if they're going to do a uh, uh, a movie, let's call it, for ABC – and it's designed, designed as like a multi-act, whatever, 12-act thing because there's going to be a commercial every X number of minutes. Right, right. Like to me, maybe that's a different beast than an hour and a half that HBO does and an hour and a half that uh, Warner Brothers does. Right. So to me, I could see putting the Warner Brothers and the HBO thing together but excluding, let's say, the ABC special where it's designed to have a commercial break that's five minutes long every X number of minutes. So what platform it plays on doesn't doesn't affect your view on this, If it right? was my contest, I think that's what I would like to see. But I, I don't see what I want to see in the Academy Awards anyway. I don't think I have for decades seen how I would like the Academy Awards to be. But, like, well, well with... Well, like we were talking about Buster Scruggs, and it's funny because when they started making that, and the rumor was that they were doing a TV show because it was episodic and it was being financed by Netflix, and they kept saying, "No, we're making a film. We were always going to glue it together." That's what they insisted. What's interesting about that film, and which I think was up for best costumes, or whatever, and Roma, which uh, you know, as you know, uh, did you see Roma? I did not. Um, so here's what's interesting: I saw both those films, and I saw, I saw Roma in the theater. And I went out with friends from work, all these twenty-somethings, and they were kind of like, "Oh, we could have streamed this. <laughs> Why are we paying seventeen right. bucks?" But to see it with an audience, what's interesting, I got in another Facebook fight where some friends of mine were like, "Oh, Roman was boring," and I was like, "Do you see it in the theater or do you watch it at home?" And they were like, "Oh, I watched it at home and I fell asleep." And I was like, "Well, I, if you saw that with an audience and you saw this beautiful black and white photography in a the theater, I don't think you would have fallen asleep." But I'm not arguing Spielberg's argument that they have to be in theaters. Roma, I saw it in a theater, and it was sold out, and I saw it front row, kind of the way you say you saw Raising Arizona, and um, then I watched it again. <laughs> Not like I saw Raising no, Arizona. No, maybe I, my feet weren't on the street, but it was, it was it was an IFC. I was about 15 feet in front of the front row. 
Right. No. So we were. <laughs> we're so yeah. But this was. It, you know how it is. Like you get the front row. It's like oh, it sucks. Now they've set theaters up so the front row is not that bad. But this is uh, I have seen. It was. It was. It was not that bad. But it was almost that bad. But um. What's interesting, though, is it was sold out even though it was streaming. And then I saw Buster Scruggs streaming you know, on a Saturday. I had a Saturday free. I think my wife and kid were out of town. I was going to go to a theater and see it uh, at 4 o'clock in a theater, and it was sold out. It was like – so it's interesting. So two things. On the on the commerce side, it seems Netflix has is, is smart. They're having their cake and eat it too, that they're getting more buzz about a film and getting people excited and into the theaters even though you can stream it. People are like, oh, that's so good. I want to see it. Like film fans like us, oh, I want to see it in the theater. Whereas, like maybe those films, if they were released traditionally, wouldn't have gotten, you know, that kind of buzz. That's that's one side of it. The other side of it is, not forget what my <laughs> what my point was, but just, just I, I, to your thing, you were talking about, hey, if there's commercials or if it's like you know, twelve episodes as opposed to one thing, is that I feel like there's gonna there's gonna be fuzzes with that, like like the Buster Scruggs thing, like. Where it's it's you know they string together six stories like again so does that does that like I just don't see how even for an award show how you create those those lines when everybody's seeing things in different ways everybody's doing different formats you know well I don't know I think it's fine to have a debate on these things I mean the formats are going to be sliding all over the place now yeah. and I think it's reasonable to have ongoing updated reasonable debate on right. these things right. uh, that was just the thought off the top of my head now I haven't given this much thought about how I might divide it it seems ridiculous to um, exclude an hour and 45 minute continuous 20 million dollar movie because yeah. it debuts on HBO or Netflix or whatever yeah. from you know every movie that goes to a theater for maybe even no more than a day um, I agree with you well, Netflix is smart because they're doing both. They're putting it in theaters and streaming it at the same time, which I don't think HBO does. But, yeah, uh, I mean, in some ways, that's a nice side effect, right? Yeah. So, so if that's the criteria, again, it's about where you want to divide the lines. If it's your, if it's your contest, you can do you use the word ball. So it's, you think it's your who, ball. Who, whoever you, owns the academy should the, the vote. The, the members of the academy should decide what. Well, what? that's fine. I mean, you know, the the Academy Awards is elevated to have been the premier. Award of all cinema, yeah, which of course is debatable. Um, so, is Golden, Golden Globes getting a little more juice these days? Well, I just mean that, that, that clearly that's not what they have been, right? Right, right. right. Um, uh, in terms of you know the the if you, if you think about the films that stand the test of time, and you think of the films that have won Best Picture, they're not a hundred percent overlap by yeah. a long shot. Yeah. Um, uh, Two thousand one. So so. All I'm saying is that the Academy Award, if they're going to aspire to be that, have to try to fill those shoes. Yeah. So they have more responsibility. But in general, if you want to do the Barney Miller Film Festival and you want to give out $1,000 to the- I love that idea. (laughs) (laughs) Now we're talking, right? Mr. Movie Club Award Show. So let's say you want to give like $100,000 to the best science fiction movie that takes place in Neuroscience Lab, which is what I think you should probably do. I'll do that with someone else's money, but not with my money. (laughs) Um, You can make whatever rules you want. Yeah, fair enough. Well, Ralph, I think on that note, um, we've we've fixed the Academy Awards. <laughs> we've decided that the uh, the Cohen brothers uh, still make good films, but it depends on what your lens is. And uh, and hopefully, you know, we've uh, realized that Star Wars is just Star Wars. I think that's the most important thing. Well, me. I don't agree with you on Star Wars. I don't, I'm not sure what you. I thought you that. were agreeing with me that that. 
I mean, so you're saying it's legitimate. No, I mean, this, this ties everything Is that, in. Are we going to end on this? Let's this, end on this. This, yeah. this ties everything in. So in Star Wars, we have multiple universes, right? We have alternate universes of Star Wars, Star Wars. That's Star Trek. No, Star Wars. But 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 start but the 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 world of the last three films is the same world as the first film. No, what I'm saying is that Star Wars 1977, if you want to call it that. Oh, I tell you, and I Star you Wars: A New within, Hope. I thought you meant within and the Star canon. Wars: The Special Edition with the new special effects I see. are all really, in some ways, parallel universes with very small or sometimes not so small changes. You're talking about creative parallel universes, not storyline parallel universes. Well, even story. I mean, if you think about the whole Han shot first debate. Right, there is a universe. So where you know, is, is this, this uh, with with the with the alien in the bar? Yeah. Scene? So in the in the first film, yeah, before it was edited or finessed um, after its release, uh, Han just shoots the kind of henchman that's come to rough him up for for Jabba's money, right? And then when when Lucas redid it, he changed there are that. multiple versions now of like. Uh, I think his name is like Guido or something like yeah. that. Uh, he shoots first. He definitely shoots first. He barely shoots first. He goes for his weapon for like all these versions. So that hand isn't quite so cutthroat. Who keeps? But Lucas did these changes. This is all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, he's in control of that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's all his his. So I thought you meant like parallel universe, like you know, like the Star Trek J.J. Re- Abrams Star Trek reboot was. It's the same characters, but like Spock got to meet Spock because there was some kind of well, time. In a, in a, that, I actually do, that's my favorite of of kind of the big Hollywood films is the first Star Trek reboot. I don't know. What's nice who about that reboot me. is that it allows the other thing to be unmolested. Right. Right. Yet he can put them in similar costumes and really you know same kind of bangs and pointy ears and it like it feels it, if that felt like Star Trek to me, whereas all the Star Trek films with like. William Shatner with a perm. That those don't feel like Star Trek to me. Uh, and I think J.J. Abrams, and that's that's why I like of all the reboots, the first uh, the first Star Wars reboot. And everyone's like, oh, that's the weakest because he just copied the first movie. What's uh, I can't remember the name of the the first J.J. Abrams new of the new Star. We're back. Star to, we're back to Star Wars now. Well, I'm, Star I, well, we're talking about J.J. Abrams as a filmmaker. He's not like in the same league as Coen Brothers. But what what I like about him is he does nostalgia. You ever see his film Super Eight? I think it's an underrated mm-hmm. film. Mm-hmm. I really love it. He does the nostalgia thing, and, and you know he's like a pop culture guy like us, but you know, but you know, with a lot more money. But he um he does the nostalgia thing, and makes it new at the same time. And I I, I think his best films um do that really well. And I'm not like a huge J.J. Abrams fan. I never even saw Lost. I started watching Lost in the first episode. And there was like a monster in the tree, so I was like, I don't care. And I turned it off. <laughs> Haven't seen Lost. Haven't seen Game of Thrones. Like the shows that I get addicted to. So let's end with that. What are you watching now? What's 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 on your radar, movie or TV show wise these days? Uh, I just watched the Avengers uh, Endgame in the theaters. Which I, I everyone's telling all my guests are telling me I got to see it. So I'm, and I've seen most of the other ones, so I will see it at some point. I, I would say this, and I, it's I, better than I, Logan. I think this is undebatable. There is nothing like it in the history of cinema. So that's a little hyperbolic, but I don't um, think so. I think it's just fact at this point. Um, there's but, nothing like it that has twenty one. Giant, basically blockbuster films with God knows how many heroes. But you're talking about the whole series. No, yeah. culminating in this one particular movie with this level of intention and attack. There's nothing like it. We are going to get back to it. Then couldn't you argue that it's not a movie? <laughs> it's a TV show because it's got 21 episodes. <laughs> I would not argue that, no. I don't think I'm going to let them be entered in the Barney Miller Mr. Movie Club. <laughs> that's, that, that is show. your prerogative. But I'll wait until I see the movie and then I'll decide. 
Uh, Ralph, thanks for coming in, man. This was fun. This was great. Thanks, Barney. Studio. We'll do it again when uh, Cortex comes out. Um, anything else you want to plug? Do, do you have an online presence that you want people to bug around? Uh, no, I, I just signed up for Instagram. I have okay. like 55 followers there, so I am the Saul Man on Instagram. Saul Man on Instagram. I'll put it on the website when we release this. <laughs> if you wish. Thank you. And over and out. Thanks, buddy. All right. There it is. Nerdopolis. It was a nerd fest. I am a nerd. I cannot hide it. Even though I always think of myself as sort of a sort of nerd adjacent, but <laughs> after that conversation, I think the cat is out of the bag. Um, Ralph's a good guy. Look for his movie. He's still finishing it, so it may not be out for a while. But um, it's called Cortex. Um, and uh, what else? You know, thanks for listening. If you want to drop me an email, please do. I, I love getting notes from you guys. Barney Barn Barn at Gmail. I'll say it again. Barney Barn Barn at Gmail. And until next month, um, talk to you soon. Bye.